Hello, we've been in the series looking at the I am statements in the Gospel of John in the Bible. I'm going to carry that on today. And I want to begin by setting the scene. It is Thursday night of Passion Week. That is the week where Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem and at the end of the week, he's going to be crucified. And so we're on the Thursday night. He's coming right towards the end. And he has just shared the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal with his disciples, the 12 disciples. He's then called out Judas as a betrayer, as a deceiver, and he dismisses him. That's important. We'll come back to that. And they've then left that upper room where they were enjoying the Passover meal together. They've left that room. They've come down to either another space in the city of Jerusalem or they're just on the streets of Jerusalem on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus knows that he'll later be arrested uh, and tried and crucified. And so that, that is the scene. Jesus has got some final moments with his 11 disciples, his true disciples. And he's going to share with them. We'll see some things. And, and what he's going to do is share with them, I guess, on his, how do they live lives that are fruitful? How do they thrive and flourish as followers of Jesus? And that's a question that we too must ask, even today. How do we as followers of Jesus live fruitful lives? How do we thrive? How do we flourish? Well, I believe these incredible words that we get from Jesus recorded with these, uh, by John with these 11 disciples in, his, in some of his final moments of his earthly life, we get real insight into that. And so we're going to read from John 15, so you can open your Bibles, turn there, and I'm going to begin to read to you from, from verse 1, where Jesus says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, then neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in I and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. By this, my father's glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, so abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that, your joy may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you should love one another as I have loved you, and greater love as no one than this, and someone who lays down his life for his friends, and you're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants do not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, 
so that you love one another. This is the word of God. Jesus begins straight away with this I am statement. I am the true vine, the first five words we get. Now, just to say, this is not a, a new metaphor or a new image that Jesus has created. In fact, the, the 11 disciples there, all of the Jewish hearers at the time, the, the original readers of this would have known exactly what Jesus is, is talking about and referring to there. In fact, it's a loaded image. From the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, often it was quite a negative image where Israel were described as a vine. If, if, if you want to take the time out to read Psalm 80, uh, you'll see where it talks about how Jesus has plucked a root of the vine out of Egypt and he's going to place it in, in a new place where it could, uh, under the love and protection and care of God, thrive and flourish. But the story is that often Israel don't do that. Despite God's care and protection and love and nurture, they don't do the things that they're supposed to do. They don't bear the sort of fruit or produce the sort of fruit that God wanted from a vine. In fact, Isaiah, uh, using this image, refers to Israel as that they produce wild grapes because of their disobedience, because they don't follow God, because they don't obey his commands. They're, they're, they end up being wild grapes, not, not a great vine. And again, in Psalm 8, it talks about how there will be a son that will be a vine. They'll raise one up. And so when Jesus is saying, I am here, I am the true vine. He's saying, in me, the people of God will thrive and flourish. The, 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 the purposes and the plans of God that was to come through Israel that you were unable to do, they will come through me. Where you failed, I will not. I will be what you could not be. I will do what you could not do. I am the true vine. And so this statement alone, these five words that Jesus says is, is huge. And I will do what you couldn't do. And all the promises and plans of God will, will come in me and through me and I will establish the things that he wanted me to establish. I am the true vine. And so this would have been a moment for the disciples to, to hear. But, but what's interesting about this I am statements, probably more so than the others, although the Father often does get mentioned, here this metaphor, this image that Jesus uses uh, extends beyond just himself. So he says, I am the true vine, but my Father is the vine dresser, the gardener, if you like, the one who attends to the vine. So he mentions it. I think the Father gets six mentions in this passage. So he, he mentions him a lot about uh, this kind of relation with the Father. But then not only does the Father get mentioned, he also extends the image to ourselves. I'm the, vine, I'm the vine, my Father's the vine dresser, and you are the branches. Again, he mentions that three times. We are the branches that are connected to the vine. And so what I want us to do with, with the rest of this passage is look at, uh, bearing, in, bearing in mind that we have a, a true vine in Jesus and the vine dresser, what, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us as, 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 as we live our lives as followers of Jesus? And I think we can see in the text at least three things that I think it means for us uh, in light of Jesus being the true vine. The first thing comes straight away where Jesus says to us, uh, it, means that, it means pruning. Pruning is, uh, straight away it says uh, here, every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away, verse two, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Pruning is, I'm not a gardener, but it's, it's a gardening terminology 
where, as I'm sure you, you may know, you cut away uh, dead branches or places where it's overgrowing in order that other life can then grow and be produced. And people will do that on a regular basis. There'll be certain times of the year where you prune and, and ways and, and certain ways you prune certain uh, different plants in order that they truly thrive and flourish. And, and, and Jesus is using that imagery. And pruning can actually, in, in some ways, be, be quite a painful process because, um, you know, because it, it can be. It can be, can be painful, can be challenging, can be tricky. And in this passage here, Jesus gives reference to two things that happen when you do that. He says, verse two, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every, uh, and we've seen that already, actually. We've seen that with Judas. This is why I said it's important. Because the disciples would be thinking, oh, that's just what's happened. They've been in the upper room. Jesus has been teaching his disciples. Judas has, has been sort of dismissed, cut away. as a fruitless branch, one who's betrayed him. And then those that do bear fruit, he prunes. These 11 disciples, even now, these very words, he is pruning them and shaping them that they're going to be more fruitful in their lives. And so we're literally seeing it in, in sort of inaction as Jesus is speaking. And so he does those two things. And Jesus, uh, you know, is, is talking about this, that the Father prunes us, and, and the same is true today. And, and I found that often pruning can happen in, in two different ways. It, it can be something that happens internally insofar as the convictions of the Holy Spirit can, can challenge us, convict us of things that we're doing wrong that we need to repent of and turn away from. That may have even happened today. Things that we've done, said, watched, thought in the week where, where the Lord has come and said, no, that's not right. And we say, Lord, I, I want to repent of that. I want to turn away from that. I don't want to do that. The Lord convicts us of, of and, and he uses our conscience to do that as well. God-given conscience that, you know, a silly example, you, you, you know, someone who's got the mind of Christ, a Christian, you go in a supermarket, you go in a shop, Sainsbury's or whatever, and they give you the wrong change back. They give you too much. They've slipped in, you know, a fiver uh, when you didn't need it. Some of us are thinking, well, that's a touch. I just wouldn't give it back. But, but what might happen is you leave the shop and you're convicted. You think, ah, oh, my conscience is not clean. I need to take that back. I'm going to go and be honest. So listen, you gave me too much change. They're always amazed when you do that. They're like, oh, wow. That'd be an example, a small example. Sometimes we're just being prune-shaped or sometimes you turn up on a Sunday, there's been things that you've been doing going on uh, and then as you've gone for a walk or you've thought about it, you're, you're like, no, what I did there was wrong. I need to go and make amends. This can be conviction of the Holy Spirit, your conscience, internally. But often what can also happen is, is also external things happen to us that can prune us. Hardships, battles, physical pain, suffering, things that we go through that, that in the end can, can prune us and shape us and that can be really painful. And some of you will be going through that right now. In fact, this is not a foreign experience to the Bible. The Apostle Paul, what an incredibly fruitful ministry he had. You know, it's hard to think of someone beside Jesus, a more fruitful ministry than the Apostle Paul. Yet he begins his second letter to the Corinthians talking about how he was, they had gone through such trial, such suffering, that they were in such despair that they despised even life itself. We never know fully what he went through, but he had such a difficult time. But he says in it, this is where the pruning element comes, he says, but all of it was to happen that we would trust God more fully. And often you realise when you go through a prolonged season of suffering that when you get out the other side, you think, oh, wow. I've, I've, I, God was really shaping me, pruning me, teaching me so much. 
about him and about who I am. As you come out the other side, you're usually a more fruitful Christian for it. I've got some good friends in this church who've, who've recently maybe walked through cancer. And then they're through the other side. God has healed them. They're, they're completely cancer-free. But they would look back on that period and say, I learned so much about God and about faith and about who I was. Because the Lord will use those things to prune us. And the Lord will discipline us at times to prune us as well. Sometimes things happen to us. Sometimes the things we go through can be the discipline of the Lord. Hebrews 12 says, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. He only disciplines the ones that he loves. Like a parent disciplines a child. I, I, I knew that all too well growing up. And you would, I would fight and argue and push back at my mum, trying to, she would try and put in rules, even if it was about, I, I want to stay out late or do be out. And, and, and at the time, you hate it. It's frustrating. You've got the hump. And there was always someone else's parent who would let them do it. And you think, oh, I just want to do that. But then as the years go by, you look back and realise that, that my mum was pruning me and shaping me for my good out of love. And it's the same with us, that the Lord has, has got an eternal mindset. He's not just thinking about our years here on earth, but the things that we go through that are shaping us for eternity, not just for the next few years, but an eternal outlook that we may bear fruit for him. And so he, and so he prunes us and he shapes us. And it'd be easier sometimes if this verse read, oh Lord, just bless me. Bless me, Lord. We, we don't be pruned, we want to be blessed. Well, friends, what you realise is as you go through these things, actually to be pruned is to be blessed. To be pruned is to be blessed by the Lord because in the end you'll produce more fruit. It's like a, a sports coach. Imagine you've got a sports coach, uh, maybe in athletics or something, and, and, and someone's gone and, and they've run a race. And you think, wow, they've done amazing. And people say, oh, he did really well. But straight away, a sports coach is getting onto them. Their coach taking them to the side and saying, "You need to stop doing this. You you, you did this too much. You you know you, you need to uh, you, you need to stop kind of dragging your feet or whatever it is, depending on your thing they're doing. You know, you see it with boxes like, yeah, you stop dropping your guard. Stop, and and you, you think, oh wow, they're, they're they're pruning them. They're shaping them. Why? Because they want them to be even better. It's like you're good, but I want you to be even better. And God wants us to. We bear fruit in our lives as Christians. God wants us to produce even more fruit that you may bear even more fruit. And those fruits, you know, think about Galatians 5. You read Galatians 5, 22, you get all these fruits of the spirits, love, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, perseverance. We say, Lord, uh, as a Christian, we want to be growing in these things. Day by day, month by month, I want to be more patient and kind and, 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 and good and gracious and I want more self-control. We, we want more of those things in our lives. And so for some of us, our prayer today is, Lord, will you prune me, cut away, remove the things, the, the sin, the habits, the, the, the thoughts that are, are, are kind of no good for me. Lord, help me to be more patient and kind and gracious. That'd be some of us today coming, Lord, prune me. But others of us can just receive encouragement and take heart. If you're suffering, if you're going through difficulty, take heart that the Lord is pruning you and shaping you, that you bear even more fruit as his disciple, one who he loves. And so that's the first thing we see, pruning. The second thing comes in these next few verses, verses four onwards, where it says about abiding. Jesus says, Abide in me as I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Often Christians will talk about just being in a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and that is what it is. It's a relationship where we follow him, we abide in him, we walk with him. And Jesus says, listen, abide in me, follow me. 
be with me. And, and, and there's encouragement to do that. That is the, the, the secret of the Christian life. Being a Christian is not just a prayer that we said once or just a one-time commitment that we made. It's a daily decision to walk with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to abide in Jesus. And he makes that clear. And the thing that I love about this, by the way, is that sometimes our own sin and our own mess can feel like we're not able to walk with Jesus, abide with him. It can create a, a wedge between us. And I think that's the reason why just before Jesus says, abide in me, he says to his disciples in verse three, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. When Jesus is saying that, he's talking about the gospel that he's come to preach and proclaim about who he is and what he's come to do has made us clean. In fact, John 5, I'll just read it to you. John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If you've put your faith in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have passed from death to life. You are clean already because of the word that has spoken to you. You've already passed. You've been, you, by your faith in Jesus, you're secure in that. You are clean. Which means there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Which means there's nothing that can prevent us from feeling like we can abide in him. Even if you're here today and you've, you've, you've made some mistakes, you're not sure where you think, oh no, there's an opportunity again today. Say, Lord, I want to abide in you. I don't want to be distant from you. This is a relationship where we can walk closely with him and Jesus invites him, abide in me as I abide in you. And he says, and if you do, you will bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? By abiding in Jesus. One of the things that um, I, I was thinking a bit about this is, is, is like an iPhone, right? I, was, I thought I had it in my pocket, but I, I don't, praise God. Uh, but you've you got an iPhone or any phone you've got, they are incredible things. You can, it can tell you how many steps you've walked. You can talk to someone across the other side of the world. You can uh, play a whole load of games. You can uh, do incredible things. Look, if someone told you about it, 20, if someone said, oh, 20, 30 years ago, you'd be able to do it. Blow people's mind. You can search the internet. It, they're amazing devices. Dangerous as well, but, um, but incredible the things you can do. But as amazing as it is, if you were to leave it for 24 hours without being plugged in, it's going to be useless. It could put no good. And it's the same with us. We can do some, we can do some great things. People on the surface, it looks like we can do some, some good things, but... But in the end, if we're not plugged into the source, if we don't abide in Jesus, we won't bear, we won't bear real fruit. In fact, verse five says that without me, he says, whoever, without, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing unless we really abide in Jesus and walk with Jesus. And he says that when we do, he guarantees us. We know how guarantees work. If you do walk with me, I guarantee you, you'll bear fruit. It's a guarantee to us. We will bear fruit. If you abide in Jesus, walk with Jesus, a guarantee is that, that you will. And, and that's the life of the Christian. We are saved by saving faith in Jesus Christ. The word that he spoke to us, that we received, has cleaned us, washed us. That's the only thing that saves us. But we're known, the Bible says, by our fruit. If you truly follow Jesus, you will produce fruit in your life. And this is what Jesus is getting at. You will produce fruit. And that's the, the but we must abide in him. We must not try and live our lives just on our own and do our own thing. And I said this when I preached a few weeks ago in the light of the world, that the, the society tries to encourage us to live independent, do our own thing, do it our own way. 
to live in independence, but Jesus does the opposite. Jesus lives in complete dependence to the Father. We've seen that in so many of these I am statements. I am the good shepherd. I know the Father. The Father knows me. I am the light of the world. The Father bears witness to me. I am the vine. He's the vine dresser. Everything he does, he does in relation to the Father. He defines himself in that. And, and even with us, everything we do, we do in relationship with Jesus. We say, I abide in him. I'm not just trying to do it my own way, do my own thing, but I want to follow him. I want to abide in him, walk with him, follow him. Because if we, and if we don't, there's a strong warning, verse six, a clear warning. If you don't do that, you'll be like a branch just thrown away that withers, suffers and dies. You, your soul will wither and suffer. It's a clear warning. If you do not abide in Christ, then you'll be like one of the branches that's, that's thrown out, cast into a fire. So we must follow and abide in him. That's the second thing that Jesus would, would say to us. And the third thing comes in verse 12 onwards. So there's, it involves pruning. The fact Jesus is the true vine for us involves pruning. It involves abiding. And maybe most importantly, it involves loving. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love is none than this, the one who lays down his life for his friends. Jesus commands to us is that you would love one another. It's a command of God. That's my commandment, that you, not just that you would love me, but that you would love one another. And then he says, the way I've loved you, and straight away he tells us, well, how's he loved us? How did he model loving us? He says, I laid down my life. He hasn't done it yet, he knows he's coming. And he's like, that's the sort of love that I want you to have for one another. That's the, the kind of, the, the remarkable love that I want the people of God to have. So when we don't love one another in that way, we disobey the very command of Christ. Sometimes we say, oh, no, I, I, I find it difficult to like some of these people. I don't really, I've heard some people say, oh, I love God. I really love God. I love Jesus. I just, I don't love the church. It's some of the people. If you take that mindset with Christ, you say you, you, you're living in disobedience to the command of Jesus, to his disciples. Love one another. The church is described by Jesus as his bride, his people or his bride, the bride that he loves and laid down his life for. And you say, no, I don't like, I, I, it's not me. It'd be like, imagine if someone comes to me and says, you know what, Joe, you're a standout guy. I, like, I think you're a fantastic fella, really like you. I just can't stand your wife. Firstly, that'd never happen because Sylvia's an angel. Uh, what would probably more happen is that they'd come and say to Sylvia, Sylvia, you're amazing. I just, Joe, just, I can't really deal with Joe. But let's say someone did come and say that. What do you think my response is going to be to them? Oh, great, let's go for a beer. And I said, well, you mean you can't stand my wife? Well, I don't want anything to do with you. We're one. I don't, I'm not going to be a friend of yours if you're telling me you can't stand my wife. Sometimes you get people saying, yeah, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. It's not how it works. His commandment to us is, is yeah, to love and follow him, but also to love his people, to love one another. And to be the church of Christ is to be, uh, it says it throughout scripture, actually, that we'll be known by our love for one another. The world, the world should look on and see the radical love we have for one another. And they should say, wow. That's incredible the way they just love, the acts of kindness and love and grace to one another. Often sometimes they look in and just see us having a go at one another. They say, no, we should be loving. So what Jesus says is a commandment. He says, follow me. And if you do, you'll love one another. He says, that's what my friends do. My friends obey my commands. Jesus says that in John 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. 
as, as Christians, we, we're already clean because the word he spoke to us. We abide in his love and we follow his commands, not to earn his love, but in response to his love. It's an important distinction. Don't try and earn his love by following his commands, but we do it in response. The fact that Jesus has laid down his life for me, no greater sacrifice, I want to do anything for him. It's even like indoors with Sylvia, I always say that I do the washing up and, every, and other bits and pieces help out. I never do that. I'm never washing the dishes thinking if I do a good job, she'll love me. Because no, because we love one another, we want to help one another out. Because of all that Jesus has done for us and because we love him, we want to follow his commandments. And his commandment here is love one another. And all of that comes out of the fact that we know that we are loved, that he's forgiven us, that he's brought us in. And so there's a commandment to love. And as we begin to look at this passage and, and, and come to a close, that our, our, we must remember that our ability to flourish and to thrive as Christians is all based on these very words of Jesus. It all hinges on Jesus living the life that we were unable to live, on him being what we could not be and him doing what we could not do. In that sense, he is the great I am, the true vine who lived a life that we could not live perfectly. And he loved in a way that we could not love selflessly. And he died in a way that we could not die perfectly. And so friends, today I urge you on behalf of Jesus Christ to allow yourself to be pruned and shaped by him, to abide and walk in his love and to obey his command in loving one another as Christ has loved us to the point of laying down his life that we may be one. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the true vine and all that he teaches us. And I just pray, Lord, will you help us to be, to be pruned and shaped by you, to abide in your love, Lord, and we open our eyes to, to just the way the Holy Spirit will convict us, shape us, to prune us, even in these very moments. Now we pray for that. Lord, and we pray, will you help us to be those who love one another? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to love one another in the way that you modelled and demonstrated. We pray, help us to do all these things for your name's sake and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.